0: Welcome to Royally Screwed, my name is Chris Shear, and it is my honor to take you on a tour through some of history's greatest, worst, and craziest rulers. On this week's episode, we're doing something slightly different from the usual. Besides the pilot episode with all the false Dimitris, we've usually only focused on one ruler per episode. Today, though, we're exploring an entire family tree. Specifically, the Julio-Claudian dynasty of ancient Rome. If that name is unfamiliar to you maybe some of the names in it will be a bit more recognizable this is the family that started with julius caesar and ended with emperor nero the julio claudians are perhaps some of the most recognizable leaders in roman history which is not too surprising considering they turned ancient rome from a republic into an empire because of their importance and all the wild stories about each emperor who ruled over their almost century of power, I'm planning for most of them to get at least a couple episodes each. So in order to avoid having to give the same history lesson over and over and over for each emperor, I decide to make this episode as a reference point for the entire Julio-Claudian clan. So without further ado, let's begin researching this family tree. We're going to the cusp of the BCE-CE era of Italy in Go Big or Go Rome. If we want to start out with the beginnings of the Julio-Claudians, we obviously have to start at the beginning with the big man himself, Gaius Julius Caesar. So in lieu of a regular history lesson this episode, I want to start things off with a mini-episode on Caesar's rise to the very top of the Roman Republic. So who was Gaius Julius Caesar? And for those of you wondering, Gaius was actually his first name and Julius was his family name. Caesar, which would actually be pronounced Caesar in Latin, was his cognomen, essentially a nickname tacked onto the end of a Roman name. The exact meaning of Caesar is disputed. Some people think it means blue-eyed, others think it has something to do with a Caesarean section birth. But an interpretation that I know is especially common is because of the hair. Julius Caesar was famously bald and also had dark eyes, not blue. Either of those interpretations could have actually been stuck to Caesar almost mocking him more than anything else. Besides his name, the most important thing to know about Julius Caesar is that he never actually held the title of emperor, and technically neither did some of the first few real emperors of Rome. Caesar had, at one time, been nominated as consul of Rome, the highest rank in the Roman Republic period. There were two consuls, elected at a time, both ruling for a one-year term. Why two? because Rome had once been a monarchy under a king, but the kings were bad and Rome decided they didn't want one person with absolute power. At least that's the short version, I'll go into that more if we ever cover a Roman king. Anyways, Caesar served as a consul of Rome multiple times throughout the years between 59 and 44 BCE. I want to keep most of the information about Julius Caesar's life out of the story for now because Caesar did a lot in his life, a lot of which would be perfect stories for this show. So for now, I'll just hint at a couple of things, like the triumvirate. There were multiple triumvirates over the course of Roman history, but it all boils down to a group of three people acting in equal power, at least in theory. The triumvirate I'm currently referring to was the brainchild of Caesar, Pompey the Great, and Marcus Licinius Crassus. Long story short, Caesar screwed over his friends and things were bad for a bit. Then they weren't when Caesar defeated his friends and became dictator of Rome. Now, when I say dictator, a lot of pictures are probably flashing in your mind. Banners with a leader's face on them, armies of identical clones marching in step. Just really bad human rights violations. And all that is true, at least for the modern definition of dictator. However, dictator was a legitimate elected position in the Roman Republic. The word more or less means someone whose word is absolute power. You know how I had said Rome had decided it didn't want to deal with kings anymore? That was mostly true. They would only deal with someone having absolute power for a temporary amount of time. And that's where the position of dictator comes in. Dictators existed in times of disaster for the Roman people, a lot of times meaning periods of war. Once whatever disaster was settled, the dictator stepped down and the Roman Senate and consulship was allowed to go about business as usual once more. However, after Caesar defeated his old friends and ended a brutal civil war, things began to change with the dictatorship. Caesar was first appointed dictator in 49 BCE in order to restore peace to the Republic and oversee a peaceful election process. In less than two weeks, he stepped down from the position. The next year, he was appointed dictator once more, but this time with an immense increase in power and an indefinite time of rule. He was given the permanent power of a tribune. A position in rome that existed to check on the powers of the senate and other magistrates he used this power to load the senate with his supporters two years later in 46 bce caesar took on the title prefect of the morals which was basically just a fancy political way of saying i have all the power don't mess with me that year he was also officially granted the position of dictator for 10 more years He would only end up getting two years into that, but in 44 BCE, Rome said screw it and granted Caesar dictatorship for the rest of his life. Despite his quick and forceful destruction of Roman democracy, Caesar did a few good things as dictator. He restructured the Roman calendar, which involved creating three brand new months. This brought Roman calendars from 9 months to 12, making it resemble more or less the calendar we have today, though the Julian calendar is different from the Gregorian calendar by just a bit. He also did a lot of architectural work, building plenty of new temples and forums throughout Rome. Finally, he made a sweeping reform to the debt system in Rome, which ended up wiping out about a quarter of the debts owed throughout the entire republic. It's not too surprising that the ancient Romans looked at this man, both a brilliant war hero, a hero might be stretching it, but I'll save the term war criminal for later stories, and powerful politician, and decided he might be a good fit for a we swear you're not actually the king. In fact, Caesar made a big show of letting people know he was not actually a king. There's a famous story of how Caesar, probably having fully scripted the event, refused a crown that several senators presented to him at a large gathering. However, this did not change his further dive into complete autocratic control. Caesar had the Senate, he had the armies, and soon he had the ability to put whoever he wanted in any role he pleased. This was especially important because Caesar was often not in the city of Rome. He was always off to further the great conquest of Rome. Eventually, a group of about 60 senators began to realize that they had, in fact, made Julius Caesar king of Rome. He had absolute power, and that was supposed to be a no-go in the Roman Republic. So, the group planned to assassinate the dictator. On March 15th, 44 BCE, Caesar was to speak before the Senate. It almost didn't happen. Plenty of people tried to stop him from going to the Senate, including Caesar's own wife who apparently had a nightmare about his death the night before. However, Caesar was not to be deterred from his business and ended up at the Senate anyways. History tells us that Julius Caesar was immediately swarmed by the group of conspirators who had first been pretending to come to him with other business. Things quickly turned violent as everyone unsheathed daggers and began stabbing. I will say here that the 60 conspirators must have been very bad assassins. There were 60 people, which, yeah, is a lot, but Caesar was only stabbed 23 times, and only one, a stab to his aorta, was fatal. Nonetheless, Caesar did die that day. And no, his last words were not, et tu, Brute. This was made up by Shakespeare. If he, in fact, said anything at all, a commonly accepted phrase is, you too, child? Probably referring to Brutus of et tu, Brute fame. But with Julius Caesar's death, Rome was left to return to its old ways. At least, that's what his killers thought. But that's a story for another time. Now that we've introduced the first big name in the Julio-Claudian dynasty, it's time to start building out the rest of the family tree. Now, this is going to probably be a bit confusing. There will be times where you might say, hey, but aren't those two very closely related? Or didn't you already say that name? And the answer to both those questions is yes. This family was interrelated on so many different levels and would often give their children the same name as a parent, grandparent, or other relative. Heck, the name Gaius Julius Caesar wasn't all that uncommon even before the most famous Julius Caesar came to power. It also doesn't help that most of the emperors were married multiple times and adopted children from other relatives. I will try to keep things as clean and concise as possible. Also, check out the Twitter, at Denim Creek Pro, for an actual diagram of all of this. So I'm going to start with the Julius family, the Julio part of the Julio-Claudians, in case you didn't pick up on that. It makes sense to start here because of Julius Caesar, and in terms of pure-blooded Julians, it's the shortest section. Also, I can skip a whole generation right away. Obviously, we start with Gaius Julius Caesar, the dictator, who was the son of Gaius Julius Caesar, not the dictator. Julius Caesar had two sisters named Julia, the older was Julia Major, and that's the only time we'll mention her, and Julia Minor was the younger sister. Julius Caesar only had one legitimate child, a daughter named, you guessed it, Julia. He also had a son with Cleopatra, yes that Cleopatra, named Caesarion. But those two aren't part of this story. Because a monarchy desires sons, of which Caesar had none, he had to rely on the descendants of his sister, Julia Minor. Luckily, Julia had a grandson named Gaius Octavius, currently referred to as Octavian. Julius Caesar named Octavian as his heir, adopting him as his own son. Now Octavian took the name Gaius Julius Caesar. This new Gaius Julius Caesar Will eventually become the first emperor of Rome, Gaius Julius Caesar Octavianus Augustus, or just Augustus. Before he became emperor, Augustus was married to a woman named Scribonia, and together they had a daughter named Julia, who I swear will be the last Julia mentioned in the Julian family. Julia would go on to marry a man named Marcus Vipsanius Agrippa, and they would have a daughter named Agrippina, known as Agrippina the Elder, and three sons Agrippa Postumus, Gaius, and Lucius. Augustus would adopt all three of his grandsons, but none ended up succeeding him, though that is also another story. Before we can move on to the next branch of the family, you need to know that Augustus, but while he was known as Octavian, divorced his wife, Scribonia, in order to marry a woman named Livia Drusilla, who had been married to a man named Tiberius Claudius Nero. No, he's not that Tiberius Claudius or Nero. However, she will be the woman who will become Augustus' empress, joining the Julians with the Claudians. Before we move on to Livia and the Claudians, we need to briefly talk about Augustus' sister, Octavia, Before Augustus was named emperor, Octavia was married to Mark Antony, another very important name in Roman history that we will talk about later. Octavia had several children, but the two most important are Antonia the Elder and Antonia the Younger. Antonia the Elder will eventually become the grandmother of Emperor Nero, and Antonia the Younger was the mother of Emperor Claudius. So now, we have the Julians coming into the dynasty from two different sources. But we are still missing that very important part of the Julio-Claudian dynasty, the Claudian family. As I said before, Augustus divorced his wife Scribonia to marry Livia Drusilla. Livia, from her previous marriage to Tiberius Claudius Nero, had two sons, Nero Claudius Drusus Germanicus, called Drusus the Elder, and Tiberius Claudius Nero, the second emperor of Rome commonly only referred to as Tiberius. Drusus married Antonia the Younger, Augustus's niece, and they had three children, Claudia Livia Julia, or just Livia, Germanicus Julius Caesar, and Tiberius Claudius Nero. Once again, not the same as the previously mentioned Tiberius Claudius Nero's. This third Tiberius, Claudius, would go on to become the fourth emperor of Rome, and he is commonly only referred to as Claudius. Germanicus married Agrippina the Elder, the granddaughter of Augustus through his daughter Julia. They had many children, though it's usually considered that the most important are his three daughters, all named Julia, because at this point, why not, and his son, Gaius. One of the Julia's was Julia Agrippina, more commonly called Agrippina the Younger. Gaius would go on to become the third emperor of Rome, Gaius Caesar Augustus Germanicus. And if that name isn't familiar to you, maybe it's because we usually refer to him by his childhood nickname, Caligula. Yes, there will probably be at least several episodes over Caligula. If you don't know why, just google him, you'll find plenty before we can move forward we're going to take a quick step back into the family of Octavia Augustus's sister Octavia's older daughter Antonia the Elder married a man named Lucius Domitius Ahenobarbus and one of their sons was Nius Domitius Ahenobarbus Nius married Agrippina the Younger sister of Caligula they had a son named Lucius Domitius Ahenobarbus eventually Agrippina would get married again to Emperor Claudius. Her uncle. I haven't been giving out how many people are related so far, but there's been a lot of cousins marrying each other and nieces marrying uncles. Claudius, who had no male heirs of his own, adopted Agrippina's son Lucius, whereupon he received the new name Nero Claudius. Of course, Nero Claudius would go on to become Emperor Nero the fifth and final emperor of the Julio-Claudian dynasty. In case you were a bit confused by all of that, let me do a quick rundown of who the Julio-Claudian emperors were, going in the order that they ruled. First is Augustus, originally known as Gaius Octavius or Octavian. Second is Tiberius, son of Augustus's second wife, Livia. Third is Caligula, great-grandson of Augustus and adopted grandson of Tiberius. Fourth is Claudius, Tiberius's nephew and Caligula's uncle. Fifth and final is Nero, Caligula's nephew and Claudius' adopted son. If that made you scratch your head a bit, I'd like to point out at the beginning where I said that there were a lot of weird relationships going on in the Julio-Claudian dynasty, and as I mentioned, I'll make sure there is a clearly labeled graph on Twitter. I wanted to make this episode so I didn't have to constantly reference back to an entire family tree whenever I do a future episode on one of these emperors. I still might do a quick refresher every now and then, but I'd like for this episode to be a good standing point for this show. So now that we have the family mapped out, what can we expect from all of this? Well, the Julio-Claudians are both incredibly famous and equally infamous. However, some of that infamy is definitely overhyped. We barely have any details about these emperors from when they were actually ruling. Some famous historical documents that are classically quoted weren't even written until decades after some of these men died. That means that public opinion was already set in stone by the time the stuff was written down. Not All of it is false, but some writers, Suetonius being one of the most famous, were writing about a history they never lived through. A lot of that information was then brought back into the general public through the books I, Claudius and Claudius the God by Robert Graves. They're great books in their own right, and I'd recommend them to anyone interested in the Julio-Claudian dynasty, but they are entirely based on stories of the emperors written by people like Suetonius. Was Augustus great? Probably. Was Caligula a sociopathic party boy? I have theories that maybe he was. Either way, we don't have a solid point of views on how these men were judged by the people they ruled while they were in power. I would also like to point out that the ancient Romans were heavily biased against emperors who were assassinated. It's kind of like the opposite with US presidents. Lincoln and JFK were killed, and they're forever remembered as great men who were killed by people who were against American ideals. The Romans, on the other hand, held the complete opposite point of view. If you were assassinated, there must have been a good reason for it. Caligula and Nero would be the only two of the Julio-Claudians to be assassinated, possibly Claudius as well, but there's no proof for that. But both of them are the only two Julio-Claudians to be depicted as absolute monsters. Maybe there was a good reason to kill either man, but it goes without saying that a lot of unsavory stories on the pair were heavily circulated after their deaths. We'll go into those stories at a later time. But for now, that's it for this week's episode of Royally Screwed. I hope you enjoyed the journey. I'd like to take a brief moment to once again make a call to action to follow the show's Twitter. I know I haven't really done that on here before, but I post some further references for each episode, as well as maybe a history meme or two every now and then. You can follow it through at Denim Creek Pro. That's all one word, capital D, C, and P. Next time, we are going further back than ever before to talk about the first pharaoh of Egypt, Narmer.